0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening.
1: We will now have a time of scripture reading. Today's passage is taken from Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 59. I'll be reading from the New International Version, um, and this will be a good time to grab your Bibles if you have one. Uh, If not, you can follow along on the slides. Now, once we have finished reading the passage, uh, because Pastor Andrew has taken ill, um, I will be playing a recording of the sermon that he was uh, supposed to deliver physically today. So that will be the main change we have for uh, this Sunday. So Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night, Or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know And thus things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother in law against daughter in law, and daughter in law against mother in law. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present, this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, Try hard to be reconciled on the way, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm so sorry that I can't make it to be with you physically at GBHQ this morning. I- Got some stomach bug and just really had a, a, a not feeling very well, quite weak. So I did the second best thing, which I think is to give you the sermon online, uh, recording on Zoom. So I hope that it, it, it will still communicate the full force of today's message because it's such an important message for all of us to be listening to. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you for you are God who cares for us. And you've given us uh, these very, very important words to warn us of uh, the time when Jesus comes again. And so we will come before you and we beg you that uh, you will impact this message strongly in our hearts uh, so that it will continue to always influence every decision that we make. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Right. Today's message really is about uh, know the times and be prepared. Know the times and be prepared. Now, this should be quite easy for all of us because we're in Singapore, right? And in Singapore, we are very good at knowing the times and being prepared. So as you know, Malaysia has canceled uh, the export license. They have exporting chicken, live chicken to Singapore. But the other day, I was at Clemente Market and, and Hawker uh, and Center and I still see chicken rice being sold. I went to Sing Siong; there's still frozen chicken. I don't really feel like I'm lacking chicken. I'm still eating chicken. And so we know the times about food insecurity in Singapore, and we are prepared. So over the years, we've been diversifying our food sources, uh, getting it from different places, making sure no one has, you know, we just depend on one supplier. At the same time, uh, I was uh, reading the news and you know that actually in Singapore, we're trying to make artificial chicken. So instead of growing chicken in a in a farm, we're actually gonna grow chicken. There's a factory now that's growing chicken from a laboratory, from a, from a, a, a petri dish. That's amazing, isn't it? But we don't just know the times and are prepared in terms of food insecurity, but we know the times and are prepared in terms of global warming. So, you know, ever since 2011, Singapore has raised up the level of the height of the reclaimed land. Uh, Tuas, mega port, Singapore Changi Airport, the new terminal is going to be even higher than before. And we're going to build this great seawall, which is worth $100 billion uh, off the seacoast to mitigate against sea rise. And even as Singaporeans, we have like the top five savings rates in the world. So we know about knowing the times and being prepared. Now, the sad news is from last week's passage, we actually see that even though we are well prepared in these areas, we're not prepared for the most important future, for the most certain future, the greatest threat that humanity has, which is the threat of judgment, the threat of eternal hell. So last week, um, Jesus told this parable about a man who was unprepared for the eternal, unprepared for judgment. God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. So here was a man who was not prepared for the future. And last week, Jesus ended by commanding strongly his disciples, but seek his kingdom, seek a treasure in heaven. And so that's the immediate context of what we're looking at today, right? And the big question is, how does one live preparing for the coming judgment? How does one live preparing for the coming kingdom of God? And today, this section of Luke is the most eschatologically oriented of all the sections in Luke. So eschatological is just a fancy theological word, which speaks about the end of time, right? The end of time, the coming of Jesus and uh, the coming of judgment, as well as the kingdom of God. So today, as we look at the passage, it begins with this first parable in verse 35. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It would be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. i tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It would be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if it comes in second or third watch of the night. Now, again, a bit of context is important. We need a bit of ancient historical context. So, In the ancient world, uh, many households had many, many servants. And here is a master who's gone off for a wedding banquet and he's left his servants at home in preparation for his return. Now, in the ancient world, the wedding banquet was not just one night, right? but it could last from a few days to as long as a week. And if the wedding banquet was far away, who knows when the master will come back. It could take a long, long time. So who is the good servant? Well, the good servant is the one who waits consistently and and waits for the master faithfully. So when the master comes back, he's there. Now, this is really, really interesting because when Jesus speaks of the parable, right? within his time horizon. The the listeners may be wondering, what is Jesus talking about? How does this parable compare to their situation? Jesus is here with us. What is this master? Who is this master coming back? But Jesus, in his sovereign knowledge and omniscience looking to the future, recognizes that he is going to go to the cross. He's going to resurrect. He's going to ascend up to heaven. But then the future, the disciples, those... for whom Luke is writing to, they will be the ones who are waiting for the return of the master, waiting for the return of Jesus. And so when Jesus speaks this parable, really, he's looking forward for for it to be used by Luke when he writes his gospel. And we are kind of like waiting for the return of Jesus as the master. And when we understand the time horizon, then, then it makes sense, right? The servants are the disciples. The master who goes off for the wedding banquet is Jesus who is gone off, but everybody is waiting for him to return. So how then are we to wait for the return of Jesus using this parable? Be dressed ready for service, it says. What does it mean? Are we supposed to wear our tuxedo when we wait for Jesus to return? No, I don't think so. Now, again, in order to understand the passage, it's helpful to go back to the Old Testament, right? Because the Old Testament helps us to read the Bible faithfully by giving us information the background information to what the images are being used and so all the way through the old testament <clears throat> there is this idea of girding up your loins which is actually the, the, the exact translation of this thing it's not dress for service it's gird up your loins right and so in the ancient world people wore really long dress skirt pants things and you know all through the old testament exodus and kings uh, they are girded up. It recalls them girding up their uh, the, the the pants and tying up, tying them up, so they can run, so they're ready for action, so they can escape from Egypt, so they can go to war, and so what we see here as we look at this passage, be dressed ready for service, or gird up your loins, or tie up your long uh, pants, right, is so that you're ready for action, and that's why it links to. The idea of where when the master comes, you can immediately open the door because you're ready for action. It's not like you're you're, you're not dressed for him and you're wearing these long long sarong things and it takes a long time for you to get to the door. No, you're ready. You're ready for action. Pastor Chen says, keep your lamps burning. Keep your lamps burning. Now this idea of keeping your lamps burning is where people are staying up late at night. They're waiting for the master to return. So the lamps are burning so that they are not asleep. And so that's why if you look here in this parable, the keep your lamps burning are actually linked with people waiting and watching. Now, all the more, we need to keep our lamps burning to be waiting and watching even at inconvenient times or late at night when you're tired, when you're not expecting the master to come back. Why? Because Jesus says in this parable that the master can come back in the second or third watch of the night. Now remember, Luke was written to Theophilus. And Theophilus was a Gentile and he lived in the Roman system. And in the Roman system, second or third watch of the night was like 9 to 12 was the second watch. 12 to 3 a.m. was the third watch. So you need to have your lamps burned, you need to be ready at the inconvenient times because Jesus could come from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, sorry, 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. in the morning. And that's the time where you're least likely to be waiting and watching for Him. Now, Jesus says that if you're faithful in being ready, faithful in waiting and watching, when He comes, what will He do? He gives us His image. He will dress Himself to serve and have them, the servants, recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Now, what does this mean? Now, again, if we can't understand something in one chapter and the section we're looking at, the book of that we're reading can be helpful in helping us to understand the meaning of that section of that word or that concept or that phrase. And so if we look at the rest of Luke, right? Over and over again, uh, the kingdom of God or heaven is presented as a feast, as a feast, right? You will eat at the feast of the kingdom. You will drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on the thrones. And so what Jesus is saying here ties in beautifully with this. He's saying that when he comes, he will will serve you at the heavenly banquet table. He will serve you at the feast in the kingdom of God. And so therefore you need to be ready at all times. Why? Because when Jesus comes, he will serve you at the heavenly banquet. Now the passage also has this very interesting thing that I want you to take note of. It says, I tell you the truth. Now, this word here, I tell you the truth, literally is trans- the translator of the translation of the word amen. Amen, the word that we use when we end in prayer, right? Amen. And amen literally means truth. Truly, it is true. Now, from our mouth, when we say amen, it's like, we want this to be true. It is true. But when Jesus says the word amen, it is like a confirm, like our single double confirm. It will happen. Now, why does he want us to have this amen? Why does he want us to know that this amen will happen, that he will serve us at the heavenly banquet table? Because of the problem of delay, I think, the problem of delay, the waiting time, the problem of waiting. So on um, Friday, I went to a queue up at this very long queue to have uh, my soy bean drink at the Hawker Center. I think it was like a queue, which stretched. At the end, about 10 people. And I was like number six, I think it was seven. So the person, first person, you know, I thought, I'll ah, order one, one drink. I think they ordered like eight soybeans with chinchao, or whatever and, and all the little bubble tea things. Then the next person ordered 10 cups of, uh, you know, their own drinks. And then the next person, so on and so on and so on. And so the guy in front of me actually got fed up and he left. Why? It was just taking too long. It was the problem of waiting, the problem of delay. And Jesus wants us to know, amen. Right, you will receive the heavenly banquet table in the kingdom of God, and I will be serving you if only you would just keep waiting. You, in a sense, you cannot make the mistake as the guy in front of me, right? You cannot make the mistake of giving up on Jesus, of not being ready, of not waiting for him, and thinking it's taking too long, right? Because he will certainly come and he will certainly give you the kingdom of God. So, verse 39 to 40 is actually linked. With this first parable, but well, I think it's a parable in its own distinct way. But understand this: if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not let his house be broken into. So you must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour that you do not expect him. Now, what is what is happening here? Now, I think that the first parable is actually a positive parable, positive parable of. a a waiting person who's waiting well, ready and waiting for Jesus. This parable is actually a negative parable, a parable of someone who's not waiting well. And the reason why I say this is because Jesus uses this negative picture. Even people in my Bible study group, you know, a thief coming is not a good picture, right? It's not a good picture. It's got negative overtones. But all the more, again, remember I said, we need to kind of look at the passage and, and sometimes helpful if there are links back to the Old Testament which the writer of Luke seems to be deliberately picking up on, or Jesus is deliberately picking up on these Old Testament pictures to give a fuller picture of what we kind of look in the passage. So yes, the thief and the night is a negative picture, but more so as we look in the Old Testament. Because as we look in the Old Testament, the thief and the night is used repeatedly, and it's repeatedly used as a foreshadowing of Judgment. That's biblical theology, right? Progressive foreshadowing. So, you know, the Old Testament's actually looking forward and saying, look, in the Old Testament, this thief in the night picture is actually something which foreshadows judgment. So when God wants to judge Edom, okay, he says, if thieves came during night, would they not steal only as much as they wanted? And then so on, he'll, you know, talk about disaster and everything. Again, in Obadiah 5, if thieves came to at night, if robbers came in the night. Oh, what a disaster awaits you. And this is how Esau okay, is going to be judged. And again, Jesus compares it to the day of the Lord. right? Like thieves, they enter through the windows. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? And we find its fulfillment in the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Because in 1, Thess- 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, again, we see this image of the thief in the night. And again, this image of thief in the night is associated with judgment. And this time it is the judgment, eschatological judgment, end time judgment, Jesus return judgment. The day of the law will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. And so as we look at this parable then, we see that this thief in the night is for the person who doesn't wait well, who is not ready, who is waiting, but gave up, fell asleep, and doesn't do, do what Jesus wants. Now, Jesus also uses the word, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour, you do not expect Him. Now, this word, Son of Man, is a very, very important word concept in the Old Testament. Okay, you Remember, I talked about, about how the Old Testament looks forward to the future. This Son of Man is very important, right? Because it looks forward to the fulfillment of Daniel chapter seven. The son of man character is given this everlasting dominion, a kingdom. And this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He receives his everlasting dominion, his kingdom, when he brings, when he comes again. But at the same time, it also links to Psalm chapter two, right, where God gives his son the kingdom. But the coming of the son doesn't just bring God's, uh, the son's kingdom and God's kingdom, but also judgment, right? You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces. Can you see the negative judgment imagery here? And so what we're meant to see here is for those who are ready at all times, they, they gird up their loins, dress for service, and they're waiting and watching. They have their lamps burning. As they wait and wait and wait through the delay, when Jesus comes, they will receive the kingdom, the heavenly banquet. But for those who are not ready, not watching, not waiting, there is judgment, the thief in the night. And so know the times, be prepared, right? If Jesus is going to come in this way, be ready at all times, watching and waiting. The passage then goes on to another development of Jesus' parable. So Peter asks the question, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And then Jesus then tells this parable and it becomes clear after a while what uh, Jesus is talking about. He gives a, a, a similar parable about a wise and faithful manager. Now, again, in the ancient world, the households were quite big. And so one servant usually was put in charge to look after the other servants. And so he puts one servant to manage the other servants, to give them food, Uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. Now, the important word to to note here is do, right? Uh, This word keeps coming up again and again in this parable, the idea of doing, very important doing. So what this picture is of the faithful wise manager, he is doing what the master wants. He is obediently serving, doing what the master wants. Now, because he does that, it says there that he'll be put in charge of all his possessions. Again, this is parallel to the image we got earlier on, right? So for the person who was uh, dressed for service, had the lamps burning, Jesus would serve them at the heavenly banquet. For those who are doing obedient service, they will receive all that the master has. And what is that? What does the master have? The master has the kingdom of God. Jesus, What does Jesus have? The kingdom of God. For those who are doing obedient service to the master, they receive the master's household, the kingdom of God. Now, in this picture, there's a bit more complexity, right? In the parable, we see that there is a first servant who is faithful and wise, but then there are three other servants who are not faithful and, and, and they live unwisely. The first unfaithful servant says, My master is taking a long time. You notice the problem of delay, the problem of waiting? So he he doesn't wait well. He cannot afford, he doesn't seem to be able to wait. Uh, The wait becomes too long for this uh, servant. He he behaves wickedly. He beats up the other servants and he drinks and gets drunk. He lives an immoral lifestyle. But notice what Jesus says in verse 46. The master will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Now, this is R 21 image, right? The cut in the pieces is basically dismember his body. He has no life. He is dead. Okay, so physically he's dead, but eternally, he will be facing judgment as a non-believer, unbeliever. Now, this is shocking, right? Because here was a person who was a disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus, served in his house, but he's he's actually not going to be saved. Now, verse 47 to verse 48 presents complexity and issues for us as readers, right? Because there are two other seemingly unfaithful, wise uh, servants, right? Uh, We will call one the negligent uh, servant. He knows what the master wants him to do, but he does not do it, negligent. There's the ignorant uh, servant, he does not know what the master's wishes are, he ends up doing the wrong things, right? So how then do we understand the last two uh, servants? Are they saved or not? Do they go to heaven or are they put together with the unbelievers? Now, to understand, we look within the book of Luke, okay? First rule of Bible reading, look within the book of Luke. Now, many people will say that within the book of Luke, uh, the parable of the master and the good and bad servant, the faithful and bad servant, is the same parallel to the parable of the sower, the good soil and the bad soil. Do you remember that? So, in the parable of the sower, there was the good soil and the bad soil, and within the bad soil, there were three separate soils. And so, people say, Look, if we look at Luke and try to use Luke to understand what's happening here, really, there's, there's just the master and the good servant, and the bad servant, because you know, as the master, I'm only interested in the servants who do what I tell them to do, right? I mean, if, if, if you have uh, domestic helpers at home, you, you're just interested in the ones that do what you tell them to do, right? The ones that are wicked, negligent, ignorant, they're still not doing what you want them to do. And so if we look at the Luke context, it seems as if those other two uh, servants, they also are condemned. But again, teaching us how to read the Bible faithfully, is there anything in the Old Testament in biblical theology which maybe sheds a bit of light to help us understand this parable? Well, I think there may be, because in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system is something that uh, is fulfilled in the person of Jesus, right? It's like the sacrificial system is just a shadow. The reality is in what Jesus does. And so if you look at the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system in Numbers chapter 15, there is, a, there is this... Um, differentiation between unintentional sinning and defiant and high-handed sinning. So if a person sins unintentionally, you can bring a female goat as a sin offering. The priest can give atonement before God and the person will be forgiven because they sinned unintentionally. But if you sin defiantly, right? you know what's right, you blaspheme God, you despise God, you break His commands knowingly, then that person is cut off and his guilt remains on him. And so if we look at the biblical theology, and we look at the uh, fulfillment in Jesus, then it's possible that the third and the second bad servants, the negligent one and the ignorant one, by the grace of God through the atonement of Jesus on the cross, they are actually saved. Now, we can easily get caught up in a distraction or rabbit hole or red herring, just trying to find out what happened to these last two, right? But again, as part of our biblical reading, it's always helpful we look at what the passage is saying, try to understand our biblical theology, and also try to understand sometimes how systematic theology, what the whole Bible says about our topic, helps us to understand this. And so as we look at our systematic theology, something very, very helpful comes along. Because it teaches us in our systematic theology that salvation, the kingdom of God and heaven, only are found in Christ. Only when we are united in Christ. Only when we are in the body of Christ. And... We are only in the body of Christ, in Christ, united with Christ, if we have faith. But the Bible tells us that faith must be shown in action and doing. And this is what this parable is all about. When Jesus comes, are we in Christ? Are we united with Christ? Are we in the body of Christ? And that is only shown if our faith is revealed through doing what the master wants in action or what. master wants so many years ago i met this guy and he says to me that he's a christian i said but you don't behave like a christian he said oh actually jesus christ to me is like an insurance policy i only need him when i die and then i believe in jesus but jesus and god will not be mocked right if you talk like that if you know but you do not act then your faith is not actually real right it is an imaginary faith it is a counterfeit faith because faith is not shown in action and doing if i said to you now There's a bomb in the GBHQ. Leave now. And I see you all, well, actually I can't because I'm not there, but I see you all just sitting in your seats. Then obviously you don't believe what I said. Your faith is not, your faith in me is not there. But if you have faith in me, but you don't act, it also shows that you are not really having faith in me, right? But if you know that Jesus is savior, you know, Jesus is Lord, you know, Jesus is master, you know, he's going to bring the kingdom of God. You know, he's going to bring judgment and you do not act, then it shows actually you're not really in Christ. You're not united in Christ because your faith does not issue out in action. Your knowledge does not issue out in action. And that helps us then looking at the context, biblical theology, systematic theology to understand the last part. The part where the relationship of knowing and doing. You see, When it says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. From the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. The much here is about knowledge, right? What you know must issue in doing. If you've been given much knowledge, much action and doing is required. You've been entrusted with much, then a lot of doing is, is expected of you. And that's what the wise servant is. If the master tells you these things, they must be aligned with doing. And that's what this... Second parable is about, I think, it's about waiting, but waiting must be seen not just in knowing about Jesus or knowing what Jesus wants, but the doing of it. That's the key thing. That's how we are prepared. We know the times, we're prepared because we're ready and waiting. We're ready and waiting by doing what we know that the Master wants us to do. Now, the passage goes on. And it talks about quite complex things, right? I've come to bring a fire on the earth, Jesus says, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? What is this word fire? What does this word fire mean? Because obviously that's the key thing, right? Jesus wished that the fire is already kindled. The fire is already burning. I don't think he means a literal fire, but if you look again in the rest of Luke, right? So we don't, to understand the meaning of what it says there, we need to look at the wider book. The idea of fire has been used multiple times so far in our study. And every time, fire is a symbol of judgment, destruction. And so what Jesus is saying here, when he talks about fire, is he wants to bring judgment on the earth and how he wishes that judgment has already begun. But he cannot begin the judgment on the earth until he goes through a baptism and how distressed he is until it's completed. Now, what is this word baptism? Jesus is rebaptized in Luke chapter 3 by John the Baptist. What baptism does he need to undergo? Well, again, helpful for us to look. If we can't find the answer in the book of Luke, we look at a parallel passage in other gospels because the gospels, Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John, Sorry, Matthew, Mark, and John, they are parallel incidents. And we can gain understanding of what Jesus is talking about here. And so in Mark chapter 10, we actually see that this baptism that Jesus talks about is is actually going to the cross and giving his life as a ransom. So what Jesus is really saying here, he wants to bring judgment on the world, but judgment of the world cannot begin until he himself undergoes baptism, judgment on the cross. Now, we can see this again through looking through the Old Testament, right? Because in the Old Testament as well, water, baptism, right, in a sense, and fire are, are pictures of destruction and pictures of judgment. In Isaiah chapter 43, right, talks about God's protection through these destructive things of waters, rivers, and fire. So if we understand and apply it, Jesus again is talking about know the times and be prepared. So Jesus says that he wishes that the fire on the world, on the earth, had already been kindled. The world's fire of judgment, judging everybody. But Jesus cannot begin the fire of judgment on the world until he himself faces the judgment on the cross. Now this is time, time, right? Okay. So between the time of Jesus' baptism of judgment and the world's fire of judgment, what is going to happen? Well, the passage tells us that he doesn't bring peace, but division, right? Division right at the most intimate levels where family members will be fighting against one another. Daughter against mother, father against son. And so what he's saying is that in between these two times, Jesus' baptism on the cross, Jesus' baptism on the judgment on the cross, and the world's fire of judgment, this will be a time where there is division, opposition, and hostility. Now, this is important for the disciples to know, right? Especially in the readers of Luke. Because if we live in between these two times, because obviously Jesus has already died on the cross, and the fire of judgment is going to come when Jesus comes again, then... We need to know the times and be prepared. We need to be prepared for this hostility, opposition, and division between the two times, but not choose to deny Jesus or come out of Jesus or to betray Jesus so that we are outside of salvation. Now, therefore, the second lesson is know the times and be prepared. It's not just enough to be waiting and watching and ready, doing because out of knowledge, but you need to resist the hostility of opposition to stay in Christ. Now, the last section, the tone changes. He's now speaking to the crowd, not the disciples. And with the crowds, he rebukes them, right? Before he's speaking to disciples, he's trying to warn them. He's teaching them. He has a rebuke. And he says a very interesting thing. When you see a crowd rising in the West, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. So you think of ancient Uh, Israel, right? That's the original situation and context. What is at the west? The west of Israel is the sea. And so, when the cloud comes from the west where the sea is, it brings water, rainwater. So, he says, you know the time and you prepare for it. If you bring an umbrella, who knows, right? When the south wind blows, you know it's going to be hot and it is. Okay. Think of Israel, right? What's at the south of Israel? It's the desert. Okay, it's the desert. So, when the wind Blows from the south. Of course, it's going to bring all the hot air. You get out your fans or whatever. So you know the times. You prepare for the times. Hypocrites, right? You know how to interpret the appearance of this earth and the sky. Why don't you know how to interpret this present time? So they're very good at knowing the the weather and preparing for the weather, but they can't understand the present time, the time of Jesus, right? The time that Jesus speaks to them. And he gives them this quite complex parable, which is so deep and profound, right? So he says to them, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge may turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And what is he talking about here? In the ancient world, the moneylenders or the bankers used to give money to the people who were lending, right? The debtors. If you could not pay back your debts, the lender would then take you to the judge and the judge would then show you to this thing called the debtor's prison. And you stayed in the debtor's prison until you paid the last cent of your debt. The time, the present time that Jesus talks about is the time where the lender and I guess the bankrupt person is making their journey to the judge, where when they reach that judge, the judge will send him to prison. And Jesus says, judge for yourself, what should you be doing during this time? You should be trying to settle your debt or get forgiveness before you reach the judge, right? Because you know that when that time comes, when you reach the end of that road and you see the judge and it'll be too late, there will be no chance for forgiveness, no chance for settling that debt because you'll be thrown into prison. So that is the time. And what is Jesus then saying as it relates to his time, his coming, his person? Well, Jesus is actually using it together with what happened before, right? In a sense, we are living, or in Luke's time, are living between Jesus's cross and the world's judgment. And instead of the person who owes a debt to the lender who needs to get forgiveness before he sees the judge, really what is at stake here is the debt of sin. The debt of sin. All people, even those in the audience ourselves, we all, in a sense, all sin, right? We all punishment, we all um, penalty because of our sins. So during this time, We need to use this time wisely to seize forgiveness, seize this moment to get forgiveness through Jesus before Judgment Day. Can you see that in the picture? That's so important, right? Now is the time. If you're sitting here today, you are not a Christian. You have not seized the forgiveness offered by Jesus. You have not seized the offer of the settlement of all your sin debts by Jesus. Now is the time. Now is the time before it's too late, before the the world's judgment or fire comes. And so what Jesus is saying is, know the time, be prepared. If you're a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you need to be watching and waiting and ready, even through the delay. You need to give obedient service to the master. Knowledge is not enough, doing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to resist the hostility and opposition of this world and stay in Christ. But for those of you, who do not yet know Jesus and are not saved, sees the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Now, in conclusion, I said that we Singaporeans are very good at preparing for the future, right? We know the times and we prepare for the times. So we prepare for the future of food insecurity. We prepare for the future of global warming and rising sea level. But when you think about it, these times are probable, right? They're very, very probable, high probability, food insecurity, global warming, rising sea levels. But how much more certain is the coming of Jesus and the judgment and the kingdom of God he brings? So I want you to bring, I want to bring you back to the beginning of Luke. You remember the beginning of Luke we studied many weeks ago, chapter one, the purpose statement. Luke wrote this so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught, right? This is what he said to Theophilus. And in chapter two to eight, we were given certainty about this person, that Jesus is the Christ of God. But as we look at today's passage, we are also given certainty about the return of Jesus, that Jesus will return again. After all, he died, he rose, he ascended to heaven. He's got to come back again. But when he comes back, What is your future? Will you be prepared? Will you have known the times and prepared for the times? Will you face the judgment of the world and fire? Or will you receive the kingdom of God? Will Jesus sit and serve you at the heavenly eschatological table? Will he give you his whole kingdom? Or will you be otherwise unprepared and face judgment? So I hope for all of us here today that we will all be truly saved in Christ because we're ready and waiting for his return. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, we want to thank you so much for your passage that you've shared, you've given to us today. We really want to pray that you'll help us to be waiting, ready, that we will, we will be ready and waiting through any delay, uh, to the final day that you come, that we will do, we will have obedient service to Jesus as our master, that we recognize that knowledge is not enough, that we will also be willing during this time uh, to be willing to suffer hostility and opposition even by our closest human relationships. Dear Father, for those who do not yet know Jesus, help them recognize that the time is short, there is great urgency, that they must seize forgiveness now in Jesus Christ before judgment comes. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Okay, thank you, Pastor Andrew. So... Um, we were supposed to have a time of reflection and discussion, but uh, time escapes us. So, what will happen instead is I will flash the questions on the slide. Uh, do feel free to take a snapshot or write them down so that you can have uh, you can use them as discussion questions over uh, lunch or in your Bible study groups. Okay, so, the first question, uh, am I ready for the return of Jesus? And the second question, what might I need to change in my attitude and Actions. Alright, so I'll just leave this up here for a moment.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at
1: busypc.sg.